0: And yes, we are going live now with our latest webinar for the Australia-Indonesia Centre where we bring to you the issues that matter between Australia and Indonesia. Thank you so much for joining us. I would like to begin first by acknowledging the traditional owners, the Kulin Nations, on the land on which the Centre's Melbourne office is located Mm -hmm and on uh, which the modern city city of Melbourne is located, of course, from where I'm hosting today's webinar. And I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I'd also like to acknowledge the uh, traditional peoples of two other lands of our guest speakers. Dr Stephanie Fay from Austrade is speaking from the Ngunnawal and Nagambri people's traditional lands. And uh, Andrew Parker, I'm just going in, is... From the Gadigal people of the Yorta Nation, we uh, pay our respects to elders, past, present, and future of those peoples as well. Now, today, of course, is going to be very interesting, especially in light of the uh, the final. Process to get through the Indonesia-Australia Economic uh, Agreement. So we will definitely be talking about that. But we also wanted to touch on broadly what's happening between Australia and Indonesia when it comes to trade, when it comes to business, business, but also investment in the region. Because, of course, uh, Indonesia, being one of the largest economies in Southeast Asia, uh, what happens there is of a strategic interest Australia's role in one of the larger developing neighbours is also intrinsic to that regional stability and growth. So we wanted to also take a a slightly wider view about that and have a look at Southeast Asia as well. So that's what we aim to do today. And, of course, this is part of our commitment at the Australia Indonesia Centre to bring you insights and talk to people within our network Uh, that can help you learn more. Uh, With that of course we welcome questions and we don't have the chat function turned on at the moment but we will definitely have that on later and I will let you know when you can start firing questions off to our guests. So just to look at a couple of the key things that have been happening in the past few weeks. The coronavirus pandemic of course has completely upended ideas around trade and business models. We've seen severe disruption in many industries, particularly in education and tourism. Investment flows are moving around. Uh, trying to get a fix on the numbers is very difficult, but we do know that economies are being hit hard. What that actually means and how that will pan out in the next, say, six to 12 months is a big question. Of course, this impacts on domestic policies when it comes to business, when it comes trade. Uh, businesses and industries are having to revamp their models around, you know, how to keep that economic bottom line healthy or as healthy as possible. And, of course, an important subject for us, how can the nations of Australia and Indonesia work together in these difficult times and support each other and find ways to come through together and help economies to reboot and perhaps find different forms and ways of uh, intertwining with each other. So we're going to have those discussions today. My panellists, of course, are Dr Stephanie Fay, who is the CEO of Austrade, Andrew Parker, who is a partner at the Asia Practice Leader at PwC, the large consultancy firm the international consultancy firm and James Castle a founder of Castle Asia well respected for his experience in Indonesia and the region and uh, also a board member of the AIC Uh, and it's lovely to have everyone on for this conversation thank you very much for your time. We're going to start with a bit of an overview from our three guest speakers, and uh, James Castle, I'll go to you first uh, because let's get that real granular view on the ground in Indonesia. How has um,
1: business been affected by COVID-19? Thanks very much, Stephanie, and good day to everyone. Uh, Well, uh, it's very uh, it's hit Indonesia very hard, and the most the most interesting and difficult thing is the high degree of uncertainty in all the years that. I've been working here, I've never seen both government and companies so uncertain about the future and having difficulty planning. And I think we have to factor that in uh, with with the criticism of government, with the interaction with government. But what's happened in Indonesia, at least for the major companies, I'm very active in the International Business Chamber and, uh, and the American Business Chamber. Below the headlines, there's been a high degree of cooperation good communication and goodwill that's developed between a lot of the relevant government departments and most of the major businesses, really with a desire to understand what's going on and to find some coping mechanisms. So that's a a positive thing. And uh, uh, the second point, um, uh, well, uh, on the uncertainty point, um, we have to uh, look at the – A lot of the information is alarmist, and uh, it is, no doubt, it's frightening, but there was a very good report out of uh, Indonesia and Melbourne last week uh, saying that too much reporting on COVID-19 in Indonesia is missing the point. And uh, what they're talking about is um, that the government, yes, the government was slow to respond, but like many governments, but it really had three alternatives. All had very high costs and all had very uncertain outcomes because we just don't know enough. The first was herd herd immunity, just let it go. The next was strict lockdown, and the next was uh, sort of a uh, social distancing program. And, of course, uh, social distancing and a lockdown have huge economic effects, which uh, all countries, United States, it's a big battle in the United States. It's a big battle everywhere. And, of course, no government can just have benign neglect and hope things turn out well. So with Indonesia's high population density in the large cities, this is from the Melbourne report, which I found very good, uh, some rural areas that make social distancing extremely difficult, the huge informal networks uh, of people who in the workforce who work in public spaces and on the streets, they don't eat if they don't work. So we had a very soft social distancing. Now, the problem is, of course, we don't really have the health infrastructure to see how many have been infected. The way we're calculating the mortality rate is just looking honestly at the average number of deaths in a month and how many we had this month. And uh, what we're finding in the health system is many Indonesians, uh, uh, if they have a victim in the family, they're ashamed. They tell the doctor, don't say he died of COVID. We'll be isolated, we'll, You know, it's, it's a shame, don't do that. So there's a lot of difficulties just structural Uh, in Indonesia. um, And so what it's done, and I think this is the most relevant factor, the lesson we learned for the long term, is that it's it's highlighted, as it has in many countries, the weakness of the healthcare and and education systems. Uh, We simply don't have the bandwidth, the human resources to uh, respond in a very aggressive manner. So the government's doing the best it can by bobbing and weaving, and there's a lot of uncertainty now. They have uh, a tentative opening up plan starting in June. It's a five-stage plan going into mid-July. That's very optimistic. In a meeting I was in this morning, I don't think anybody thinks we'll be open. Uh, I mean, mid to late June would be would be very good, I think. So uh, uh, what we've seen is uh, the company trying to keep their staff engaged some companies are still working uh, full out uh, others uh, uh, completely remotely of course the service industry can work remotely the mining and manufacturing industries can't i think some of the i think nike still has 100,000 employees working going to the factories every day in indonesia so the economy is grinding on and everybody's taking every precaution that they can but we're quite worried about you know uh, are we doing the right thing what is the right thing and what will happen if uh, we have an outbreak. So maybe I'll just leave it at there and uh, we can respond later to questions. But I would like to, in the context of the, of the CHEPA agreement, uh, one of the really important things is the opening up of education uh, and healthcare. And we've seen both of these sectors have really have been left behind due to the uh, old, old-fashioned regulatory system, which is highly nationalistic highly autarkic, and run by a number of very uh, self-interested so-called union groups. And so if, if this can help, if, if the CHEPA, terms and conditions of CHEPA are applied, I think we can really see great opportunities for uh, Australia, which is very strong in both these areas, but really it's an opportunity for Indonesia to seriously upgrade its healthcare systems, to catch up with some of its neighbors. Uh, Singapore may be a bridge too far, but catch up with Malaysia and Thailand, which have made great advances in health care, uh, leaving Indonesia behind. So I'll, I'll stop there.
0: Thank you, James Castle. As always, very interesting and several elements there that you've raised that we will definitely touch on during this uh, conversation. I'll go now to Dr. Stephanie Fay from Austrade for her opening remarks uh, to help lead us into the, the discussion. Thank you, Dr. Fay.
2: Yeah, thank you very much, Helen. And it's great to be back with the Australia-Indonesia Centre. And in fact, Andrew and I were on a panel almost a year ago today. Uh, And on that panel, we were talking about the potential of the Australian-Indonesian relationship. And we focused on the digital economy and agriculture. Uh, And we also looked at the services sector, Uh, and how Australia might be able to support uh, infrastructure, manufacturing, defence in Indonesia. But how the world has changed in the past two months. Uh, We, in Austrade now, are primarily working remotely. Uh, Our a based staff, uh, who were in Indonesia, have returned to Australia. Uh, but we still have our uh, locally engaged staff, and of whom there are about 25 in different offices across the country. Uh, but what we've experienced in AusTrade has been a global phenomenon, and many of the Australian businesses and Indonesian businesses are also having their staff work from well work remotely if they possibly can. Uh, So it's not uh, what the context in which we're referring is not just uh, relevant to Australia and the Indonesia relationship, but it's been something that the whole world has experienced. Uh, And it's interesting actually being in Austrade at this time uh, because we have 1,100 people uh, located around the world in 48 offices. Uh, We had... uh, staff in Wuhan and uh, as we know uh, that's where most of the reporting came from when COVID-19 started Uh, and Austrade was the only uh, government representatives uh, in Wuhan at the time so we've heard from our staff in Wuhan we've heard from our staff in Milan because again uh, in Milan Australia uh, is represented by Austrade uh, both from a trade point of view and from a consulate point of view. So sitting in Austrade, I've been able to see the impact of COVID-19 as it's swept across the world. Uh, so it does, it does give me a particular vantage point uh, for commenting on the Australia-Indonesia relationship uh, at this time. But I wanted to make a couple of points uh, before I move more precisely into some of my observations. Uh, And the first point is this didn't start as a financial crisis. This is actually a health crisis. Uh, And the response to a health crisis has been different to uh, the response that we had to the GFC, for example. So many companies now are hibernating and governments around the world are assisting their companies to hibernate uh, and the Australian government has rolled out a number of strategies and policies and uh, mechanisms to help companies through this period uh, the, the major challenge for a number of companies at the moment is the cash flow problem uh, so if you can hibernate and if you've got enough cash flow, you will make it through to the other side. So that's the first point I wanted to make. The second point I wanted to make, and it also echoes what Jim has said, uh, that COVID-19 has exposed the weaknesses in different economies uh, and also their social support systems. Uh, So from my perspective, COVID-19 hasn't actually pivoted uh the direction of history it's actually accelerated history so we're launching into a digital world that we knew was coming uh but we didn't think would come quite as fast so i i'm of the view that it's not a surprise what's happening at the moment in terms of the way in which business is responding Uh, is not a surprise, it's just happening much faster than what we'd anticipated. And within this crisis, there are many people and businesses that are suffering, but I also want to make the point that there are companies that are actually booming at the moment. Uh, And uh, some work that's been done on small, medium-sized enterprises in Australia shows that 20% of those companies are actually booming. There are a number uh, that are experiencing very serious difficulties uh, and individuals who are working for those companies are also experiencing difficulties. But the point that I'm making is that it's not all doom and gloom. There are opportunities and that's where I think we need to focus in terms of our relationship with Indonesia. So we have uh, a number of people on the ground in Indonesia. Uh, we've still got about 25 people there. And I've been encouraging Australian businesses to look at Austrade as their boots on the ground at this time where they can't travel. Uh, Austrade is there and they're able to provide services for for Australian companies who are either trading with Indonesia or who have investments in Indonesia. The other exciting part is that we've had the ratification of IACPA and that it will come into force on the 5th of July and at the highest level this means that 99% of Australian exports to Indonesia will go tariff-free and also IACPA have put in place uh, safeguards around data sovereignty, about agricultural market access, around services and around investment. So the coming together and the ratification of IACPA and should I, should I also say it's amazing that that's been achieved in this environment Uh, we could have very easily been distracted. But the fact that it's been ratified and it's coming into place on the 5th of July amplifies how important this relationship between Australia and Indonesia is and especially at this time. So the fact that we pulled it off is amazing and it's offering these new opportunities and from what we see from businesses, They're not uh, sitting on their hands. They're actually exploring very actively the opportunities that present themselves under IACPA. So, as we go into questions, I think we'll have the opportunity to talk about uh, the, the diversity of opportunity across the different sectors. So, thanks, Helen.
0: Great. Thank you, Stephanie. That was, again, very interesting. I've written down several points from that, uh, which I'm sure will be picked up during uh, the rest of the webinar. Uh, If not, I would definitely be putting a few questions in your way. And uh, to finish off with our summaries, can I go to Andrew now, the Asia Practice Leader at PwC? Andrew, a bit more of a, a wider view perhaps from you about how uh, this is impacting in the region, particularly when we look at Indonesia and its aspiration to be uh, one of the top economies of the world.
3: Yes, yeah, sure, Helen, thank you um, and good day to everybody uh, on on the call. Um, look, I wanted to start with um, just a little bit of a, a macro picture for Australia and, and um, I guess a little bit like Stephanie, just, um, you know, point out the the opportunity that 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 sits here as well amidst what what can be a quite a gloomy outlook. Um, but first, just just some some of the reality. Um, so the Australian economy and, and indeed the global economy has been slowing down for some time. So this is not something which has occurred um, as a consequence of, of COVID, but was a trend that we're observing uh, well well um, before COVID arrived on the scene. Um, but, but certainly COVID has, has accelerated that, and for a number of economies, um, there's been a really significant impact. In Australia, uh, the Federal Treasurer has um, talked of a cost to the Australian economy approaching $4 billion a week um, so that's a pretty significant impact on the Australian economy. And net debt in Australia um, could increase by as much as $400 billion, at least based on current forecasts. Um, uh, before the before COVID, our net debt to GDP ratio was was relatively low um, by global standards at, at about 20%. Um, but if you add in the net debt that, that comes about as a consequence of um, government stimulus uh, and support packages it's likely to increase towards 50% of GDP um, which again, still by global standards, remains relatively low, but um, is is certainly very high by Australian standards, and and, and at a level that uh, we haven't seen in Australia since the end of, of World War Two. Um, so it's a pretty sobering set of numbers to um, think about um, when you think about how what Australia looks like. Um, certainly, for most of the younger generations of Australians, um, they've never seen a recession. We've had 28 years of uninterrupted economic growth and so for the younger generations that's a pretty scary outlook Um, but I have to say that you know in in a global sense we're actually in in pretty good good company if you look at um, growth rates across particularly the advanced economies and developing world um, Australia is is around about um, the average if not better Um, we're certainly in a good position um, on World Bank forecasts in the outlook period. So beyond 2020 into 2021, a strong rebound is is forecast. And I think really importantly, if you can put that into context in the region that we sit in, um, the region that we're in at the moment um, is, is home to the only three G20 economies that the World Bank expects to come out of 2020 with positive economic growth in those countries, China, India and the one that we're focusing on here today, Indonesia. Now, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty in all of those forecasts, and we've seen already um, since the, the beginning of COVID some downgrades in the forecasts, and it's quite possible that there will be further downgrades depending on how all of the um, management of the pandemic plays out across across the region. Um, in, in Australia, uh, there's been a fair bit of talk um, that we're going to need to be, um, more self-sufficient going forward um, and that we're going to bring back a lot of manufacturing into Australia um, and and um, quite possibly reduce uh, immigration intake. Um, this is partly in a, a response to, to the COVID outbreak, um, but it's also reflecting some of the simmering tensions that we have in our uh, economic relationship with, with China, which is, is a very important one, um, but as I'm sure everybody would uh, be well aware from the press, is one that's um, suffering a little bit of stress at, at, at the moment. Um, I think we should remember um, from an Australian perspective, uh, you know, why we've been so successful um, and we need to focus on the strengths that, that, that Australia brings to the table. Um, we're going to have to tackle domestic reform in Australia. This is something that we've not um, really been able to do over the last 20 or 30 years or not had to do over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, and certainly the ideas of the free movement of uh, goods, people and capital um, have enjoyed bipartisan support in Australia over a very long period of time and they've underpinned the prosperity that that we've enjoyed. Um, so I think we're going to have to invest uh, a, lot, a lot more into protecting and developing the global institutions that have um, supported the international order that has enabled Australia to, to prosper. And we are a trading nation um, of just 25 million people. Um, and so we're not we're not going to grow out of this um, situation that we're in by looking inwards. Um, in fact, I think that we, we can um, grow by looking outwards um, and particularly looking to the region that, that we sit in. Um, we are going to have to do a lot of things differently to what we've done in the past, um, but personally, I can't imagine a future for Australia over the next 25 years that doesn't, doesn't really significantly feature the region and most particularly uh, the story of, of Australia and, and Indonesia's relationship.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Andrew. And look, th- there is something that's been mentioned by all of you. It's around the regional impact and how that's shifting, I guess, where... opportunity it is or what what we see is the opportunity and andrew you mentioned china and i think you know this is one of the hot topics at the moment of course Uh, we see the tensions that are occurring at the moment in the trade relationship Uh, you know it's raised the question about do australian businesses need to look elsewhere um, apart from china or do you see now with the trade agreement between australia and indonesia that there is an opportunity for that joint competitive advantage between the countries that perhaps is part of the broader regional play. You'll see on the screen there, we have one of the the questions that came in beforehand um, on COVID-19, reiterating how much Australia relies on China realising this. Will Australia's focus start to shift more to Indonesia? What industry should Australia be focusing on? So maybe, Andrew, I'll get your overview on that. Then go to Stephanie because she's been talking about opportunities. And then James, pick up on you to see if uh, you think that all actually works together.
3: Sure. So look, I, I think in some ways the um, the challenges that we're having with, with China um, in the long run are actually for the good of, of the Australian economy and, and Australians. I mean, it's it's roughly forty percent of our exports today go to China. That, that that's a great story. Um, if you go back a decade um, before, you know, China was a much much smaller proportion of our exports, and and so Australia has grown as a consequence of the um, the economic growth we've seen in China. Um, and and contrary to a lot of um, a lot of sort of media opinion. The, the relationship with China is, is a much more diverse relationship than it was a decade ago. Um, you know, we, we sell a lot of beef, wine, um, other consumer goods to China, and, and even services. Our services industries um, to China today are, um, are roughly equivalent to the exports of coal to Japan, our second largest trading partner so just to put that into context that you know there is no other market today which is going to replace the China market so I don't think the conversation um, should be about how do we replace the China market it should be how do we grow China uh, how do we manage that relationship but at the same time um, it does highlight the need for Australian businesses to look at the opportunity that exists a little closer to home and we've been ignoring for um you know 50 60 years and 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 that is this relationship with indonesia it's a it's a country of um over 250 million people um a country that that has a, an overwhelmingly young population and a rising income um if we look at where indonesia came from um around the time that the asian financial crisis rolled through asia um, quite literally, laying ruins to the Australian, the Indonesian economy. It is today one of the one of the five trillion dollar economies in in the region. Um, so, so Indonesia is a very significant um, opportunity for Australia, and and Australian businesses have not spent anywhere near enough time understanding that market. Uh, and I think IACPR is is a terrific signal to Australia um, that 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 there is a, an opportunity there and, and for Indonesia to, to reach its economic potential. Um, Jim talked about in his introduction education. Um, of course, this current crisis has has um, highlighted um, health infrastructure and, and the institutions that go with uh, a well-governed economy and a, and a growing economy. So for Australia, the things that we're actually really good at, you know, I spoke about in my introduction playing to our strengths, The things that we're really good at are exactly the things that Indonesia will need if it is going to achieve its potential. Um, And so we've got a really significant opportunity for Australia here to add to our um, economy, to grow our way out of this trouble, but at the same time to help our neighbours to to do the same thing. And overwhelmingly that has to be, of course, it's in Indonesia's interest, um, but it's also good for Australia.
0: Stephanie Faye, your thoughts on this uh, interesting moment in the trade relationships? Yeah,
2: so I think it is uh, important to talk about China, and uh, there's a lot of media coverage of our relationship with China at the moment. Uh, but can I just say that China is our most important trading partner, and I can't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, as we know, China is almost back to full capacity. Uh, their factories are back, their trade is back, their domestic tourism is back. Uh, some people have said, well, we don't really believe that. Uh, all you need to do is to consult with Google and you see the traffic in Shanghai. It's as uh, congested as ever. You look at the pollution levels over China, they're back to pre-COVID-19 levels. So you can't manufacture uh, the fact that uh, China is back in business. So as one of the first countries to come out the other side of COVID, uh, it is open for business And Australia itself is in a very good position because we have been very successful in flattening the curve. So we are also open for business. Uh, So the two countries are expecting that they will be trading with each other and there's no problem with that. Mm. But I don't think our uh, relationship with Indonesia is actually based on the premise of whether we should engage with China or not. Uh, The reason we've got such a strong trading relationship with China is that we've got complementary economies uh, and the same circumstances are now emerging with Indonesia. So irrespective of China, uh, the Australian economy and the Indonesian economy are starting to recognise the complementarity And the business relationship will grow as a consequence. So as we know, the skill levels are increasing in Indonesia. Uh, There's increased innovation. Uh, So there are opportunities for some of our uh, smart companies in Indonesia. But also the middle class is growing in Indonesia. So the demands of the middle class are around healthcare around better services, about uh, better education. So the complementarity in those areas are there for everyone to see. Uh, so and that's
0: that's where you see the opportunities, Stephanie Faye, just to be clear? Ab-
2: absolutely. I think it's uh, in not only in export, uh, export of goods and services, but it's also around investment and co-development and uh, co-creation of some of the solutions because in Indonesia uh, there's an established mining sector. The opportunities for the METS sector to support a safe and clean mining sector in Indonesia are endless, huge opportunity there, Uh, and also around food security. So Indonesia is focused on its food security and uh, at times like this you can understand why, com- why countries have gone that direction. But Australia also is very strong in ag tech. Uh, so we are so we're able to support the strategies and the policies of Indonesia by providing high-quality services to support them to achieve the ambitions. So I, I see that uh, the complementarity between the two economies is what's going to drive increased business engagement on both sides, both and both in terms of trade and in terms of investment.
0: Thank you for that. James Castle, I'll bring you in here. Uh, interesting that Dr Fay mentioned co-development, investment, collaboration ideas that have come up regularly in the past few years when it comes to the relationship with Indonesia and how business can engage. How does it work on the ground, though? And where would that be at the moment, given what's going on uh, with the coronavirus, coronavirus pandemic?
1: Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Helen. I certainly endorse uh, what Stephanie and Andrew have said. And I want to emphasize that it is a two-way street and uh, the low-level, relatively low-level... Of Australia-Indonesia trade, given the, against the potential, is not is not just because Australia hasn't been interested. But the two most exciting areas, as we mentioned several times now, are education and healthcare. And until recently, they've been totally closed to foreign investment. So uh, the real challenge is going to be: as Indonesia recovers economically and they continue to open up in the spirit of the Comprehensive Economic Partnership, you know, will they allow uh, uh, foreign campuses? Will they allow foreign doctors? They, uh, up until now, they don't. So a real, it's really going to take, a, I think, a sophisticated and important effort to keep the door open and so, so these uh, opportunities can take place to the benefit of both countries. So that's really my concern, is that um, people start to look inwards and, and uh, of course, COVID is all about putting up barriers and uh, I hope those barriers don't become durable because that's an excuse to block immigration, to block investment, so on and so forth. Oh, we have to bring everything on shore. See, we need to do it ourselves. Uh, There's going to be a strong push in that direction. And so I think it's going to be a real challenge for all of us who believe that that's absolutely the wrong way to go, uh, to try and keep those doors open uh, so we can recover strongly and uh, even be uh, more supportive of each other. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you. And and that does help answer one of the questions that we've had from our audience uh, about the win-win perspectives and, and sectors that people can work on. Um, I'd just like to perhaps look... I, I know we've looked at the three sectors or three ideas about where there might be some opportunity, but I want to still get a sense of how things might play out in the next six months. Um, Stephanie, if I can go back to you for a brief thought on that and then uh, to our other two panellists and then I'll go to another question from our audience.
2: Yeah. So I think it's looking into a crystal ball and I think the optimists amongst us uh, assume that we're going to come through the other side of COVID-19 and the world will go back to normal. Uh, But I don't think either Australia or Indonesia can assume that it's going to go back to normal and that we're going to get on top of COVID-19 permanently. I think COVID-19 is going to be with us for many years until we find a vaccine. So it really depends on how we handle uh, the tracing uh, of COVID-19 and how we manage to keep it contained. And if both countries can keep it contained... Then that will give rise to a different future than if um, Australia follows in, uh, Singapore's uh, trajectory, which shows that it's it had it under control and now it's starting to to grow again. So, assuming that we've both got it under control, uh, I think the the opportunities will be great. Uh, but until then, I think both countries are uh, developing policies that will, as I say, help to hibernate uh, the, the companies and hoping that they're going to make it through to the other side. So both governments have been uh, putting in place policies. Uh, but if we move to this, the future, I think there are opportunities that will emerge and particularly in relation to our digital collaboration. So there's going to be... Uh, opportunities uh, in health. Uh, I think the uh, there are an, a number of uh, e-health platforms in Indonesia that are also starting to uh, increase the number of digital health uh, consultations that they're doing. Uh, and the same same thing is happening in Australia. So I think there's going to be increased opportunity for e-health, for e-education, but I also see that there's increased um, opportunity for digitization to come into trade because those of us who have been involved in export know that the process of exporting is archaic and you need wet signatures on many of your documents that digital documents are not accepted That's starting to change and change very fast. And the vision that Australia has for our borders within the next 10 years will be a uh, frictionless border, that it will be totally enabled by technology and products and people will be able to come and go without using paper at all. And you know that that's also starting to happen in Indonesia. So those opportunities are actually really exciting. Uh, and what another thing that we're observing with Indonesia is although they've got a food security strategy, uh, there are some uh, products that are running short in Indonesia. And so there's some flexibility now around how much we can export into Indonesia so the prices don't inflate. Uh, So COVID uh, has a tendency for people then to put up the barriers, but we're also seeing evidence where the barriers are starting to come down. Uh, So I find those opportunities actually very instructive in terms of the art of the possible.
0: I'll put that to Andrew Parker then. If we're looking ahead for the next six months, Andrew, and of course Indonesia is not the easiest country to invest in, but do you think that now with this very different scenario uh, that business will be looking to invest? And I'll also just invite, um, we've got a a question to put up around investment, you know, that eternal question around why isn't there more investment in, in Indonesia? If we can just pop that slide up to give our audience an idea of uh, what we're talking about but Andrew six months from now I mean is business looking for those opportunities is it looking you know if it does have a bit of cash flow that now is the time to take advantage of that
3: yes yeah, so look I, I I, think that that this is a, a, a longer term game um, you know many, many Australian businesses are still wrestling with the you know with the immediate Aftermath of, of, of COVID and what it means for their domestic business, um, and and you're certainly not not going to be in a position to be um, competitive or successful in in a in, in a new environment in a new country, which you know Indonesia has its challenges. Um, if your if your business at home is not not strong and secure, um, it, it's going to require investment. It's going to require patience. Um, and it's certainly going to require a timeline that that you know most Australian businesses haven't been you know kind of comfortable with for for quite some time. So I would I would discourage Australian companies thinking that they can go to Indonesia or anywhere else for that matter and make a quick buck. Um, it's got to be a really long term commitment because that's what we've you know we've been guilty of in the past and we failed miserably if you don't have the capital to back up that investment then you know the chances of success are are very low what i would um encourage companies to do though um, is is to think about think about um you know those long-term strategic plays where where australia has competitive advantage or comparative advantage where we are um, able to bring world-class capability and and most importantly what we can do over this next, you know, six months or twelve months, however long it takes, is is start to think more about how we build a relationship with Indonesia where we get to know each other. Um, you know, there's been there's been study after study which shows how little Australians know about Indonesia, and and some of it's pretty embarrassing when you. When you look at it and think about it, um, and, and it's going to be very difficult to do business if we don't understand and know each other. So, so I would say that's a really important um, foundation that can be certainly worked on now. Again, we're not going to complete it in in six months or twelve months, but but it's a really good place to start because I think that also then leads you down the path of thinking about the, the areas where our relationship can be can be strategic. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, much of our relationship with Indonesia has been very transactional. Um, we come and we go. Um, it's it's very much about what can Australia gain from this relationship. I think we need to think a whole lot bigger about what is it that Australia can do to help Indonesia reach its potential um, and, 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 and to help Indonesia achieve its strategic objectives. Because if we do that and we make a contribution to Indonesia being successful, that will flow back to Australia in, in multiples of, of outcomes. So, so I think that that's going to require a really significant change in how we in Australia think about the kind of business that we want to do. As I said of course with Indonesia, but but perhaps even more broadly in, in the region itself
0: okay thanks so much Andrew James I'll go to you uh, looking at the next six months maybe you could take it out a bit further if you like and we're talking about investment uh, looking at those opportunities for business collaboration Uh, we have a question around uh, why isn't there more investment in Indonesia Um, if we can pop that slide up just so that uh, people can see what that question is
1: uh, why is Australia not very okay? Well, I think um, what you have to do is if you, uh, ask ask an Australian company, "What kind of a company are you? Are you a local company? Are you a regional company? Are you a global company? If the answer is anything but a local company, then you have to say, uh, "Why are why are what are you doing in the fourth biggest uh, uh, country in the in the world? And it's right on your doorstep. So you have to have. A, I always say, "Give me a reason you're not there." And it may be a good reason. I mean, wrong product, wrong regulation. We can't, you know, so on and so forth. Indonesia has not been easy. So really the question is to ask any company and any every company should be asking itself. Uh, how do I see my company in the next five to 10 years? If I'm just going to stay local, fine. But if I have, if I'm going to be regional, then maybe China is a bridge too far and a bridge too tough. Uh, too competitive, perhaps, maybe Indonesia will offer some uh, opportunities. And I have to say, it, it's it's a two-way street. Indonesia has been inward-looking and nationalistic. They put restrictions on foreign investment. So you have to look and see, in my business, what do I do? What can I do? What are the terms and conditions for Indonesia? Now, we, uh, this uh, the COVID crisis has distracted from the fact that President Jokowi had a very comprehensive omnibus reform bill, has it, uh, before parliament now, and it's not getting many headlines, but it was uh, that the contents, as the president put forward to parliament, will open up Indonesia more. So let's hope that that can get through parliament and that as things settle down and uh, we get into uh, a new routine uh, dealing with the pandemic, however it happens, uh, that, that that doesn't get derailed and uh, Indonesia continues to open up. And then it'll be a much easier two way street. But again, it's always the question. Where do you want your company to be in five years? And if you want to be regional or global, how can you – what's your plan for Indonesia? Mm
0: -hmm. That's a simple question. Yeah, and 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 certainly important over the next six months, James Castle, (laughs) if you've got limited uh, funds to invest and you're trying to find the the place to invest them in. I'm going to go Uh –
2: Helen, before we move from investment, could I just say a couple of things about investment? Mm-hmm. Uh, because this is this is a question that's asked quite often uh, and I think it's important that we address it head on. Uh, but the first comment I'll make is that Australia does invest in Indonesia, so we're one of the top 10 uh, foreign investors into Indonesia. You would expect it to be higher because of our proximity, uh, but we... Invest $10 billion uh, in Indonesia and it goes across a number of sectors. So we have investment in uh, manufacturing with Arnott's, Coca-Cola, amatol Blue Scope and Orica. Uh, we're also invested in the ag tech area. So CBH, flour milling, uh, Cheatham salt. In financial services, we have this Commonwealth Bank of Australia in services we have Ramsey Healthcare they've got three hospitals Telstra is a major player in Indonesia and in mining we've got Tees and McMahon so there are Australian companies who have invested in Indonesia but it still doesn't address the point of why isn't it more and I think there are a couple of reasons why Uh, one is the complementarity of the economies that I was talking about before. Much of Australia's investment overseas requires a high skill level. Uh, Australia doesn't invest in mass manufacturing wherever it goes around the world. We tend to be more niche and we require uh, a high skill level. So Tease, for example, and Coca-Cola amatol uh, have been there and they've been training their own staff for many, many years. So the skill level for those companies uh, is at a level that they require, but they've had to train their own. So that's the first point. But the second point is when you look at Australian investors, often they invest uh, in a small way to start and then they grow their investment so if you look at the policies of Indonesia at the moment, they actively discourage small investment. So uh, investment less than a million dollars uh, is not encouraged. The policy actually encourages large-scale investment. So if Australian investors have a strategy where they invest a uh, million dollars and then grow, uh, it's one of the impediments uh, for Australian investment. Uh, The other issue, and this is the one that James mentioned, it's around uh, having uh, access to uh, visas in Indonesia. So if we're investing in Indonesia, we also like to be able to go spend time there. Uh, And the visa arrangements are quite restrictive for someone who wants to develop a long-term investment so if you can only get a visa a year at a time it doesn't create a sense of stability and long-term confidence Uh, but also as Andrew said we invest in what you know and alongside people that you trust Uh, so I think that's another challenge for Australia uh, there are people who have become familiar with Indonesia in the 1990s, in the first decade of the 2000s. But Indonesia has changed quite fundamentally since that time. So, the experience that we have in Australia, I wonder whether it's as up to date as what it could be, because Indonesia is a digitising economy. Uh, it's got a Young population that's very ambitious and very clever, very aspirational. Uh, And my question is whether Australian business actually is familiar enough with the new Indonesia and not, and perhaps we're too stuck in what we thought Indonesia was in the 1990s. So it, it means that we need more familiarity. And I think international education has provided some of that to Indonesian students coming to Australia. Uh, but I think that uh, with the new uh, ventures from uh, Central Queensland University and Monash University, uh, where you're able to have 100% uh, ownership of the university, uh, 67% ownership of a vocational education Institution, those businesses and they will be big businesses will require people to to go to Indonesia on a regular basis. So my uh, hope is that those educational investments will uh, give rise to a more contemporary understanding of Indonesia and and the potential of that market. I think that Indon- that. International education sector is one of the leading sectors. In fact it's the number one uh, export between Australia and Indonesia. In international education in 2018- 2019 was the number one export. So I'm very confident that uh, the familiarity that we all say we need for that closer relationship will come. Uh, because of those international education opportunities
0: okay thank you very much stephanie for that Uh, we've got five minutes left so i'm going to have to keep it fairly tight from now unfortunately because everyone's got uh, something interesting to say every time i ask a question (laughs) and we have been keeping an eye on the questions that have come up so thank you to people that are putting those in not, perhaps I'm not answering yours specifically, but I'm, I'm just getting a sense of them as they come in. And I think the panellists have been largely answering the questions that you've put forward, including about international education, which of course is a huge issue in itself. Um, so it's nice to have a bit of input from you on that, um, Stephanie. Thank you. We, uh, now my job is to try and pick the, the final three minutes and what we should spend that on. Um, I think we're trying to get a sense perhaps of, of where the synergies are. So perhaps if I could just get you thinking around um, you've mentioned some of the sectors, perhaps some thoughts around if you're a a business now, maybe you're not going to um, maybe thinking about what to do or how you can collaborate or you're looking at those sectors, Um, just some thoughts around what would you be doing in the next, say, 12 months perhaps, if you're looking at the region as somewhere that you are a part of it. Now, you might be a different part of the region at the moment, um, but if you're thinking about Indonesia, what would you do, especially in light of the coronavirus and how it's affecting how things are done? Um, I might go to you first, James, because I reckon you've pretty much sorted this out given your constant daily conversations.
1: Well, um, I'm more familiar with the, the service industries and obviously uh, what we 're looking at is how companies are going to be structured very differently when this settles down when we reopen uh, you know the, the office, uh, who's going to be in the office and I, and I would really, in my own business, really have to upgrade our uh, our communications, our 21st century infocom structure, and I think that's going to be the major challenge that's going to just offer tremendous opportunities to companies that have services and products in that area. So I just think we're very early days in that. Uh, imagine Indonesia is now doing uh, uh, telehealth care. I mean, who thought? I mean, who would have thought? And Indonesians are are quite um, internet savvy. They're plugged in. So uh, I think uh, providing goods and services uh, in the 21st century way is going to just uh, really... Uh, We're all going to have to adapt to that. And if we don't, we're going to probably find ourselves in a difficult business.
0: Thank you. Andrew Parker, some brief final thoughts?
3: Yeah, look, I I mean, I think, you know, there's been a lot of um, discussion in Australia about, um, you know, diversifying away from China. And I I would encourage companies to think about the kinds of things that we've been successful in uh, marketing to the Chinese and think about whether the Indonesian economy you know, is a place where where those products and services will be relevant. Um, again, you think across. You know what what will be required for Indonesia to be uh, successful in in the coming decades? Infrastructure um, and and the, the, those those services that, that Jim and and Stephanie have spoken about, health education. These are all foundations and things that, that Australian companies are overwhelmingly good at. So we should think about how we can um, apply those capabilities to, as Stephanie rightly said, the new Indonesia. This is not the Indonesia of the Suharto years.
0: And Stephanie Faye, to you, finally.
2: So it's uh, Dorothy Dixer to ask me what companies should do in the next six months. I would, We've sort of got um, the
0: answer, haven't we?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I strongly recommend that they contact Ostrade uh, to go to the Ostrade website uh, we have weekly updates uh, on the indonesian market what the opportunities are what's happening there we have regular webinars uh, so i would be participating in those webinars so i would be getting the most up-to-date on the ground information that you can about the indonesian market Uh, And I'd also be looking at in export marketing development grants, Uh, people who have participated in export will know that you get a rebate for your costs of marketing into these countries. And the government has actually topped up that fund. So now you're getting 50% uh, of your expenditure as a rebate. Uh, And in these difficult times, government said, we want that money out the door ASAP. So Austrade managed to get $44 out the door to companies in terms of that rebate in less than 10 days. Unprecedented. Uh, So look at what the support mechanisms are from government and also from Export Finance Australia. So those who are requiring uh, some bridging Uh, in a sense it's bridging finance Uh, you can go to Export Finance Australia and there are special funds now for companies that were profitable before COVID uh, that they can get loans from Export Finance Australia anything from 50,000 or 250,000 to 50 million to actually get you through this period so I would Be going to government to get up to date information and to get access to whatever support they're making available. So, why not?
0: All right. Thank you. Thanks for that. And you mentioned some webinars. Uh, I have got a few details here. There's one on the 18th of May Indonesia Agriculture and Food Sector Update. And on the 19th of May, the general manager for ASEAN Austrade, Sally Dean, is hosting an ASEAN markets discussion. So if you get in touch with Austrade, I'm sure they can find details about that and join in on those webinars. Uh, Stephanie Fay, you also mentioned international education here at the Australia-Indonesia Centre. We're hoping to hold a webinar on that as well. Obviously, a significant issue uh, to be discussed. We'll have more details about that when they come to hand. And uh, with that, we have to uh, say goodbye because that's all we have time for, unfortunately. Um, A great discussion. Thank you so much uh, to our panellists, Dr. Stephanie Faye, the CEO of Austrade, uh, James Castle, the founder of Castle Asia. Uh, significant consulting and strategy company in uh, based in Jakarta, and Andrew Parker, the Asia Practice Lead and Partner at PwC. We value your insights. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone who put in questions. We will be putting up more material following this webinar, including uh, parts replayed and there um, bring you some of those incredible insights that we got um and and hopefully people who didn't get their questions answered can go back and access them and we'll look at different ways of getting this information out so uh, thank you for joining us for our latest webinar and uh, we hope to see you all again soon thank you